Welcome to the Living Word. I'm Sarah Jala Emmanuel, an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together today to share your word, to learn from you. We ask, Father, that you open our hearts to receive you, to receive that which you give to us so freely, the word of life. We pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from the Holy Spirit. We pray, O Lord, that you will guide us and lead us into your truth and uphold us by that truth enabling us and empowering us to live for you by your truth in all things and in every way amen so we turn to the concluding part of the message who is on the lord's side and the sub message which is the only gospel the only gospel because we are washed with many messages nowadays so many things that call themselves gospel but there is only one We've established from scripture there is only one. And that is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Because through that alone are we saved. There is no other message that can save us. Except that of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation coming to the world to dwell amongst us in a world of filth and evil and godlessness and unholiness dwelling amongst us are people so unworthy of salvation so unworthy to be loved yet he lived with us in love and showed us the way the only way to god he reconciled us to god by going to the cross and bearing the punishment for our sins upon himself he died for us he shed his blood for us he bore the agony for us he took all the scourging for us he received all the insults for us and he died on our behalf. The death that we so richly deserve to die, Jesus died. And we praise God because he resurrected again on the third day according to the promise of God, according to his word to his disciples at the time. And because he is risen from the dead, because he rose from the dead, he resurrected at the time, because of that, he has promised us that we also shall be resurrected from the dead and we shall live with him eternally for all those who believe in him and in his atoning sacrifice. And that is the only good news. There is no good news anywhere else or in anything else. There is nothing else that is of eternal value to us. So today we're going to study. We have so far spoken about and seen in, through scripture or in scripture how Peter's message, the very, very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost was about Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for us Jesus Christ and his crucifixion he was going to the cross on our behalf we've seen that after that him and John also even when they healed the crippled beggar the message was the same when they were brought before the Sanhedrin the message was the same under every circumstance the message of the cross of Christ has been was the only message that the apostles who walked with Christ ever preached nothing else was necessary nothing else was was expedient for the people to know and understand and appreciate and embrace and so we're going to see further how this same message continued to propagate and that was what brought christianity to be that's what christianity is all about it is about people who have been redeemed by the sacrificial death of christ people who have been redeemed to become god's people People whose sins have been forgiven because Jesus paid the price in full. There is nothing else to be added and there is nothing that can be taken away. Salvation is Jesus Christ plus or minus nothing. Jesus Christ alone. We have to believe. We have to look up to the cross alone and believe that that death was died on our behalf. And apart from that, there is nothing else we can do. We cannot be saved any other way. So we're going to, we read today for, uh, from Acts, chapter 8 of Acts. And we read from there, from verse 26 to 39 of Acts, chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to this chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now that is an amazing uh, uh, evidence of the providence of God. This eunuch was a God worshipper. He was African, coming from Ethiopia, and um, he went all the way. He, he, he would. It was his practice to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship the true God. There's a people seeking God. God has always has, had his eternal plan for mankind, not just Israel. Israel were a special people to him, yes, and salvation was going to come to all mankind through Israel, and it did. We thank God for that. But God's plan had always been for the whole of mankind. I'm not saying everybody is going to be saved because not everybody will. But what I'm saying is God had his elect people from every tribe and nation, color and creed and everything. Everyone. God had his people from everywhere chosen from before time. And that is what we see today in Christianity. We are all a diverse people, different tongues and tribes and personalities and, you know, uh, from uh, different nations and languages but yet we have that one language in common the language of God the praise of God the love of God and it's amazing isn't it hallelujah is a universal language <laughs> you know we all come together wherever we may be wherever we are our color our nationalities our personalities are cast aside when we come together in fellowship that is the true Christian living that is the true Christian living. And it's quite tragic, actually, because as with everything else that God has given us, even that has been corrupt because um, there are churches. I mean, nowadays we have in a situation of black churches and white churches. I don't know what this is all about. We have African churches. We have uh, European church. We have that. I don't understand what that is all about. The Church of Christ has absolutely no, no barriers. It is open to all and sundry, and we are all one and the same before God. God did not create prejudice. We did. And that's just us. We have a way of ruining everything. Human nature, we, human beings, we have a way of destroying everything that God has put in place. And that only happens when, because people pay allegiance to the devil. Because whoever loves as God has loved us and as God loves us, whoever is obedient to the word of God will surpass these things, will be above these things. But you see, where people prefer the ways of the world and the teachings of the world and the guidance, corrupt guidance of the world, evil comes in because Satan is in charge of the world. Nevertheless, going back to what we were talking about, about the only gospel, we see that after the gospel has began to spread in, in Israel, across Israel and all the and the people had been witnessing after the day of Pentecost and uh, there'd been a great persecution had broken out, you know, and people had been scattered everywhere. You know, the disciples had been scattered all over the place. You know, the, there's witnesses, people were witnessing in Samaria, just according to what, God, uh, what the Lord has said, that there were going to be his witnesses 
in, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in, you know, the regions, all the regions, and then throughout all the whole world, according to what Jesus said, the word was being spread. Now, they may have thought, the believers at the time may have thought it was something bad happening, but it wasn't. It was all according to God's plan. And the word was spreading all over the place. And now we come to a situation, and the, on, the only word was spreading was about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. The hope of our glory, the good news, that is the good news. There's no other good news. Nothing else can be considered to be good news. And we read now about, we just read about Philip and the Ethiopian, Philip the evangelist. And he met, you know, God had directed him to go to that particular place to meet this chariot. And this, because this man who was searching, you know, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was searching for God in his heart. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, but then he was still worshiping in Judaism. He had not come to the knowledge of the truth of Christ yet. He knew nothing. Now he's sitting in his chariot, reading, ever so puzzled about this person. And that's um, Isaiah chapter um, 53 he was reading about. He was reading about, uh, you know, the scripture according to the prophecy of Isaiah speaking about the coming Messiah and it was written that portion where he said he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth in his humiliation he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth and this eunuch was puzzled he didn't understand what was going on he was trying to find out to whom the message that prophecy referred and God providentially had brought uh, Philip to him to explain to him and what we read is that you know after Philip said asked him do you understand what you're reading you know and the eunuch said I can't unless I have someone to tell me what's going on who is the uh, Isaiah the prophet talking about himself or someone else and Philip we understand told him started at that very 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 portion of scripture and that is about Jesus Christ and his crucifixion you see again the message is the same there is nothing else to tell people who are steeped in sin except the good news that their sins can be forgiven if they turn to Christ who was crucified for them. Now, the Bible says there that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The good news. It is good news for those who would believe. It is bad news for those who would reject the, mess, the, the grace of God. Oh yes. It's good news to mankind. But when people turn their noses against it, when people kick their heels against it, the, mes- or, or the gift of God, the grace of God, then it is bad news for them because then they will be judged. I had a conversation with a colleague of mine last week at, uh, at work. You know, one of, um, another one of us had recently died and um, we were talking about death, you know, died last week and we were talking about, I was able to see her before she passed on and we were talking about the old matter of death and all that now this other colleague of mine that i was speaking with is someone who claims she's um he uh, buddhist and her husband is hindu they don't really practice much they just you know people just sort of think i'll choose whatever fancy religion i fancy sort of thing it's in my culture and my tradition they're absolutely clueless as to whatever it is they may think they believe in and she was saying how um uh, how oh, people tend to know because I was saying the conversation I had with the colleague who died when I saw her 48 hours before she passed on and she said yeah I actually think people do have a control over when they die and how they die and things like that. and I said actually they don't they don't I said yes uh, this person was able to talk about it because she had been told she was dying she was dying of cancer she'd been given a matter of two weeks but she actually died five days after she was told she she had about two weeks to leave. I said, no, people don't have a control actually, but she had come to the understanding she was dying. She knew she was dying. That's why she was able to talk about things relating to her death. It is not a, it isn't a choice we have. Many people go step out in the day and simply don't return home. They did not plan not to return home, but they're run over by a bus or overtaken by any other kind of evil. Could be bombed, could be stabbed, could be shot at, could be, anything can happen. People have heart attacks at random, even in their sleep. And, you know, situations like that. So I'm saying, no, no one is in control. I said, and the important thing is, 
we should all be prepared to go because God has not told us that we are going to be in this particular life forever because we have corrupted it with sin. And as such, death is now necessary. Death, the word death, which people sort of dread, really only means separation. We are going to be separated from this current world as we know it. I said, but the most painful thing is to be separated from God eternally. And that's what the Bible in the book of Revelation describes as the second death. Now, I said the important thing is to reconcile with God while we're here, seek his forgiveness and understand that, and no, receive his gift of grace, that gift of salvation, so that we are ready at any time to leave the world, be it by sickness or accident or suddenly or we just sleep and not wake up. Anything can happen to anyone. Everybody's going to go. That's a certainty. You know, either that or the, or the Lord Jesus Christ returns to take his own. Either way, everybody is, has to be separated from this world as we know it. And then she said, well, that's the thing, you see. I mean, uh, I, 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 I think there's some kind of life afterwards, you know, when you know, we might people just die and they might come into, uh, you know, they might die and find themselves in another world. And, oh, look, uh, you know, here I am. I'm a butterfly now. I said, no, I'm sorry. But, I mean, that's a whole load of warped imagination. That's never going to happen. We're not going to wake up one day and find ourselves in Mars as a butterfly or, or anything like that. You are going to wake up. Yes, when you leave this world, we will. You will appear somewhere. You will appear before God's judgment seat. And she said, well, that's the thing. That's what I don't like about uh, Christianity. Because I was raised in a Christian, um, in a Catholic church. And... Um, she actually went to school in a convent. She, she attended a convent school, and she said, "Oh, it was the message was all about fire and brimstone and fire and brimstone, nothing else. It was also mundane, the routine worship, the confessions we had to do." And she was taking me through everything they had to go through as uh, students in the in the convent in the, and adherence to the Catholic faith. And I could quite um, empathize with her, to be honest. Because if I had had to go through all that mundane routine, I mean, the way she said it all, it, you know, I don't even think life would have been worth living. Everything they had to go through. There was nothing exciting about it. And then she made a point. She said, but what I find interesting is that you play, you know, uh, Christian music while we're here together at night because we work the night shift. I work all the way through the night. She leaves halfway through the night. But, you know... I always play uh, Christian music after a certain time. And she said, the kind of music you play and listen to are so nice and refreshing. And, you know, she said, even the bankers have commented how it relaxes them when they come in here. But the kind of music in the Catholic church was so sad and so, it just made you miserable. So I said, unfortunately, you see, the Catholic church does not adequately represent Christianity. If indeed they represent Christianity at all. I said, but uh, you wouldn't know the difference because we have not tried the Protestant Christianity, which is the true Christianity, you know. You haven't. You've been, you were conscripted to Catholicism from a, a young age, and you've been put off. I said, listen, Christianity is good news. It is about we being sinful, but God being merciful and gracious. And it is, you know, the message is, telling us of God's love for us and how we can be saved. So it's not all fire and brimstone. I said, however, there is a place for fire and brimstone. When we willfully reject the gospel, the good news, when we reject the salvation brought to us through Christ Jesus, when we reject the grace of God and the mercy of God and think we can do it our own way or we don't need God in this life, the God who has given us life and created everything we enjoy on earth, when we shun him, deliberately shun him, Yes, then there will be fire and brimstone in the end, unfortunately. And she went quiet for a very long time. As a matter of fact, that was the end of that conversation for the day. And I thought it's a good thing because I like to, when I've um, sowed the seed of the word in people, I like to give them time to think about it. I mean, it was not the first time I was talking to her about the gospel. I've been working on it for so many years that we worked together. I continue to I give a Christian tracts and things like that, you know, for her and her husband. But um, whether they're going to respond eventually, I don't know. I do not know who, the, who God's elect are, but mine is to sow the seed. So that was the end of that conversation. You know, wondering, you know, it, I said, there is the good news. It's And it's up to her then to consider what to do with it. I said, but yes, indeed, there will be fire and brimstone. So now, 
we go back to this matter. Now the eunuch go, um, was delighted to hear the message of salvation. Was delighted to hear that his sins can be forgiven. His sins have been atoned for. And he couldn't wait to to publicly and openly declare his allegiance to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When he asked to be baptized as soon as they came to came by some water. And uh, he was baptized. Philip baptized him. And the Spirit immediately took Philip away from that place because he brought him there according to his own will to do what he needed to do. Philip had achieved that. Obviously, you can see that that eunuch was one of God's own elect. That's why it was easy. God gave him the gift of the faith to receive the message with thanksgiving, with joy, and with excitement. It is very good news. And so... The eunuch went on his way rejoicing, even though Philip disappeared. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. You know, that's another thing. It brings me to this um, idea by many Christians that uh, Christianity is a foreign religion brought by white men to brainwash Africans. I hear that, um, I can't even call it an argument, because it's not even an argument. It's just a senseless talk, to be honest, based on nothing, because if... (laughs) <laughs> the people who come up with it had ever taken the trouble to read the Bible, they would have seen that from the very day of Pentecost, Africans were present. Africans were present on the day of Pentecost. And this eunuch who went on his way rejoicing, I do not believe he went all the way back to Ethiopia and kept quiet about what the salvation he just received. He went on his way rejoicing. He would have been so... T- talking about uh, uh, his salvation... You know, animatedly, he would have been so excited, so joyous, would have taken the good news back home to Ethiopia. So, this idea by the ignorant people that um, that uh, Christianity was brought to brainwash black people by the white people is a whole lot of nonsense. Christianity did not even start in Europe. Because every time they talk about white people, they're talking about Europeans. It didn't start in Europe. It did not start in America. So what are we talking about here? Ignorance is a very terrible thing. Because if we, on the day of Pentecost, we, we read that there are people from Egypt. There are people from Libya. They were all there on the day of Pentecost. And they also, the disciples that were there who had gone there to worship God, you know, the uh, God worshippers amongst them. who were, That's why they were all in Jerusalem in the first place. All these people from different countries all over the place. They were all there to worship God. And they had been part of, partakers of the blessing. Of the blessing of Pentecost. So there is nothing new about the gospel coming to Africa. It had been there from the very beginning. So when people say that it, uh, we need to refer them back to the book of Acts the very beginning of Christianity and they will see what a foolish argument they are coming up with so nevertheless Philip's message to the Ethiopian eunuch was the same the gospel was the same that you know Jesus Christ died and was crucified for our sakes now we have a whole lot of messages coming out nowadays a whole lot of messages and in particular my my biggest grouse is that which is called the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. I mean, I don't see how it's a gospel to start with. Telling people how to make money. That's what business schools do. That's what uh, educational institutions do. That's what business seminars do. Teaching people how to make money. So how that can be good news is beyond my imagination. God does not have a special word for us about how to make money and how to make a fortune. But that these teachers are what we have. Multitudes of them all over the place in, on every continent. They are there, selling people a whole lot of nonsense. Meanwhile, whilst they're engaging people in this empty and idle notions that do nothing but promote the sense of greed and lust in people, they are alienating them from God. They're alienating them from God. Because God did not give his only begotten son to come into the world and go through all that suffering and agony so that I can have a fantastic bank account. Or so that I can have children. Or so that I can have a great marriage. It's, it's not about that. Or so that I can accumulate cars and lands and all sorts of properties that perish anyway with use. Things that I cannot take with me to eternity. Things that have no value eternally. But they call it gospel. The charlatans. It's very, very tragic. Because the Paul the Apostle also, when he was called by God, 
in the most amazing way in which he was met by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember, remind ourselves that Paul was an enemy of Christians. He hated the Lord Jesus. He hated everything to do with the faith because he was very zealous for God. He didn't just do it because he was a non-believer. No, he was a believer in God. He was a Pharisee. He loved God. And because of his honor of God, he thought he was doing God a favor. God was, thought he was doing God a great service by um, destroying Christians and Christianity. It was called the way at the time. And... Um, Paul took it upon himself to be arresting anyone who walked in the way or anyone who believed or trusted in the way. And it was on one of his journeys, he taking permission from the elders and the rulers and uh, in, in, uh, of the Jews, Jewish people, to go and arrest anyone, you know, in Damascus who was walking in the way or who believed in the way. Now, the way I'm saying with capital W, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, he was on his way to um, Damascus to harass and torment the Christians and arrest them that he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, Paul became a changed person because the Lord dealt with him and told him what he had to do, that he was going to be a vessel in his hands to bring the good news to the Gentiles. Now, Paul, in his preaching, when he began to teach, he established so many churches. He undertook three missionary journeys, very adverse ones. Paul suffered a lot for the gospel. And um, un until his death, he never considered himself worthy, worthy to have been used by God. He was faithful in his service to God. He devoted himself to it. From the moment he was called, he devoted himself to the service of the Lord. But let's see what he says now to the Corinthians. When he, um, the Corinthian church, which, w when, he was, uh, when he wrote the first epistle to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, read from verse 1 to 4 there. Paul writing to the church. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That coming from the Apostle Paul. He went, he said, he went to them in, in fear and trembling. As they proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified, he said, I resolved to know nothing else. Now, Paul was a very learned person in Judaism. He was very learned in the laws of Moses. He was a Pharisee. You know, he studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of their time. So he knew the law and everything, but yet he knew that was not enough. That could not save. He himself said everything he had gained and learned, he had considered a loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and his death on the cross. And hoping to attain to that resurrection which Christ has promised. So he said, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words so that your wisdom might not rest on man's wisdom. Now we have a problem now where people are putting so much trust in the ministers and the words they're telling them. Now I'm not talking about the ministers of God who preach the truth of God because the true servants of God will not have followers after themselves. They will not have it. They point everyone towards Christ. True preachers point everybody towards Christ. They point no one after themselves. They make a nothing of themselves. Their purpose is to bring glory to Christ alone. Their purpose is to bring glory to God. Their purpose is to proclaim the truth of God that makes that frees people, that brings raises people in godliness. Their purpose is to encourage obedience to the gospel, to the word of God. Their purpose is to bring the highest worship to God and his Christ. 
Now, the purpose of the true servant is in, la- is in accordance with what, what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4, where we are told very clearly the purpose for which God has appointed his servants, his ministers. And Ephesians 4 there from verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is the one singular purpose of every servant of God. Now, we've had the age of the apostles and the prophets. They have delivered the word of God to us. Everything we read in the word of God is aimed at that particular purpose, that very purpose of building us up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is what scripture is given to us for. And that was delivered to us through the prophets and the apostles at the time. And now the rest of us, evangelists, pastors, and um, pastor teachers, our purpose then is to continue that work of building people up using the very same word of God. Using the very same word of God. There's nothing else that we have been given. Nothing else. That's all we have is the written word. And we have no business going outside of it or fashioning it after our own will. We have no business diluting the word of God to make it carnal and more entertaining and more more receptive to people. We have no business bringing the word of God down to the low levels of mankind's greedy thoughts and lustful desires. And unfortunately, that is what we have today. That is what is going on a lot. It's, it's, it's very pathetic because the word of God is meant to build us up. The word of God is meant to bring us to obedience. I always say one thing because people do ask me, how do I know if I'm in the right church? How do I know when some a, a preacher is, um, how do I identify a true preacher or a false preacher? And I always say the matter is very simple. The matter is very, very simple. When you are listening, when you listen to a sermon, when you hear a sermon, and it does not make you think deeply, it doesn't stir you into wholesome thinking about your relationship with God, you are not listening to a sermon that that glorifies God. When you listen to a sermon, and you are not convicted of your sinfulness, you are still comfortable with your sinfulness. You've got some hidden sins that perhaps nobody knows about. Things you do. Watching pornography, fiddling your books, you know, fraudulent activities, adultery, fornication, you know, things that, you know, there's nobody else who knows about it, but you know, you know what you're doing. Maybe drug use or alcohol abuse, all those things. You know, you know, a man, (laughs) a man knows within himself what he does. Only God knows every man. I do not know anything about the next man except what I see of them. And that what I see of them is the surface. But God knows me all the way internally. Now, if you hear sermons and they do not make you think about your sin and make you desire to repent and not make you think of the grace of God, that your sins can be forgiven if you repent, or the judgment of God, that if you continue in that way, you you will be doomed. You know, if you summon to hear, do not do that in you, then there's a problem. You are not listening to the true word of God. I mean, there is a place where the summons you hear also uplift you. If you are walking in obedience and you hear those things, you are uplifted. It is always good news. Like I said, the coming of Jesus, his coming, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection is good news to those who will believe. To those who will not believe, it is bad news. In the same way, a sermon, a good sermon, where it convicts you and you are convicted and you repent, it's good news. It lifts you up. Or also, if you're walking in the truth already, you're walking in obedience, it lifts you up. It's encouraging because you are spurred on, you're encouraged. But if you're not and you're not willing to change and you're not willing to repent and you love your sins so much that you turn your ears against it, it's bad news. It's bad news for you because you have heard the word and you have chosen not to repent and so you'll be subject to judgment before God. 
So it depends on how you look at it. But a sermon must have an effect on you. One way or the other. Either make you think, I need to change and I need to seek God's forgiveness and mercy. Oh, I don't care about God and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, 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 to face whatever consequences. There will be consequences for whatever, deter- whatever choice you make. Because the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, every good work according to God's ordination. There's nowhere we read that Scripture is God-breathed for, for flattery, for, 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 for oiling the ego, for encouragement in greed and lust, which is exactly what false teachers do. That's exactly what they do with their false doctrines about health and wealth and prosperity. That's not why Jesus came. You know, um, the, the late um, S. Lewis Johnson, who was a, an excellent Bible teacher in his time, he said something. And I quote from him, he said, The end of the Christian church will be characterized by the acts of the apostates. And that is tragic. Seeing that the beginning of the Christian church was characterized by the acts of the apostles. Now the end of it is going to be characterized by the acts of the apostates, he says. But he, he was speaking the truth because this is exactly what the Bible wonders about severally. Paul said it in Paul's epistle to um, Timothy. He said, The time is going to come when people are not going to hold on to true teaching anymore. They're not going to hold on to the, right doctor, to the true doctrine, but rather to please themselves. They're going to gather for themselves a, a, a large number of teachers to tell them what their itchy ears want to hear. They're going to turn away from the truth and turn their ears to, to the myths. And that is where we have nowadays. People say, no, if you're a child of God, you know, God is wealthy. God is everything. So you should have all the money and all the riches you need. I don't know where that is coming from. Because what our Lord himself told us and what he taught us is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. And in his build up to saying that, what he said to us was, do not worry about what you shall eat, what you shall wear, what you shall drink. He said, all those things, your Father in heaven knows that you need them. He knows. God knows that we need all those things. He said, but you. He said, pagans run after those things. But you, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So I struggle to accept or, or, or as a Christian to acknowledge as a Christian, one whose entire Christianity is based upon lustful desires of pursuing God for prosperity, for financial breakthrough, for, for, for uh, increase in wealth and, and all those things. And so we have many professing Christians today under the, the delusion that they are saved. While they remain unbroken and lapping up false doctrines that encourage every lustful inclination in, in, in mankind. Now those desires alienate a person from God and such persons have no part in the kingdom. They have no part in the kingdom of God. Now this is not my own suggestion. This is exactly what the Bible teaches us and we are going to examine the scriptures where we are taught those things that people with such lustful desires have nothing. They have no part in the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom of holiness and righteousness. That's what it is. A kingdom of holiness and righteousness. The home of righteousness. That's what God's going to recreate. God's kingdom is in, is currently and always will be inhabited by the, by the holy people, by the obedient. People who have given their lives back into the hands of the Savior who bought them. People who walk in obedience to God. People who are content with what they have in this present life because they know their life does not consist in the abundance of their goods, according to Jesus said. He said, guard yourself against every kind of greed, our Lord Jesus himself taught while he was here. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So where you have this charlatans who are encouraging you to go for the best and rise to the top and go for this and 
seek your financial breakthrough and seek your financial miracle and claim your miracle and claim it and name it and you are standing disrespectfully before God shouting a lot of foolish de- demands and requests up into heaven saying you're declaring and you're con- and you're proclaiming and you and you uh, what are the words they use a lot of ridiculous words and i declare and i proclaim and i uh, i i i i I can't even think of them all now but you know what i'm talking about we hear them all the time in the charismatic and pentecost movement and the pentecostals we hear the sort of empty empty foolishness that they call prayer all the time no wonder your prayers are not answered no wonder year in year out you're still pursuing all kinds of prosperity preachers all over the place you attend every crusade they 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 they, uh, lay out Every crusade they organize, anywhere, everywhere, every time, you're still there going to the Holy Ghost fire nights, you're still there going to the seven days of breakthrough events and uh, miracle outpouring events and all that nonsense. Year in, year out, you're doing the same thing. If indeed you did have the authority, as they lied to you, that you have the authority to proclaim and to name it and to declare it, why are you still doing it ten years later? Why is it that the first time they tell you you have the power in your tongue to create wealth? Have you really? Is that why you're still there, so still, you know, dissatisfied, still lusting, still greedy, because they've been able to create all the wealth you need? Why? For how long will you be deceived? Because unfortunately, you see, God's own children are not like that. Yes, they're not. They may have had such ambitions in the past i certainly had such ambitions in the past you know at the time i was studying and was uh, and began to work before i came to know the lord i had i had lofty ambitions i wanted to be a wonderful fantastic very successful businesswoman traveling the globe i had ideas and i was working on them and i was doing well actually on my path at that age you know i was doing well i was doing pretty well but um i came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he called me to himself, and I realized that I wanted nothing, no part in the ambitions and achievements of this world than to please my God. I wanted nothing. I wanted not to serve myself anymore, or mammon, which was money. I wanted to, wanted to get a lot of it and have a fantastic house with tennis court, swimming pool, you know, games room, a personal dream. Oh, everything, everything, every lustful person desires and dreams of. I also was part of it. Yeah, why not? That's the way the human mind works. But then I came to realize there's far much more to life than that. And I just thank God. I mean, I don't have a great big business now. As a matter of fact, when I abandoned my uh, calling to preach and teach the word of God, uh, as my, my evangelical calling, when I... Uh, abandoned it for a space of uh, two to three years to establish a business I failed woefully it wasn't because it wasn't a nice business everybody loved it I I, I opened up an uh, uh, an African arts and craft gallery and everybody came in there loved it I was full of compliments all the time but you know what <laughs> nothing was going on as far as the prosperity was concerned I was losing money I lost everything and it took me a while it took me almost three years to come to my senses like Sorry, but the Lord wouldn't have it. Because there was never a time that my conscience did not bother me about what I was doing. That I had left my first love. I had left my calling. There was never a time I was at ease. But I kept on thinking, once I got the business sort of off its ground, you know, off the ground and on its feet, yeah, I'll, I'll employ staff to run it and then I'll go back to ministering the word of God and I'll go back to serving God according to what I should have been doing. I was trying to make a deal with God. God does not make deals with us. He doesn't. And he will not let us go our own way first and then bring a, you know, and then satisfy his purpose later. No, he won't. And you know why? That's because he loves us. It was very costly to me. Oh yes, cost me a lot. Financially, emotionally, physically, mentally. It cost me a lot. But I thank God that he let me go through that discipline because otherwise I could have been lost and I'd rather not be. I mean, I I am saved. There's no way I was going to lose my salvation on account of my disobedience in that regard because I loved God with all my heart. He knew that. and I mean, he knows that. And I would have no other God. But then, you see, I'd set up this little demigod. 
But I was going to lose my salvation because that's a done deal. Jesus completed that. But you see, I would have had no eternal rewards. I would have had no eternal rewards. And that's the thing, you see. What's the point? How? I, 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 dread, I dread the prospect of appearing before the Lord and before the God, judgment seat of God one day and not having anything to show for what he had called me to do. He'd given me salvation free and fair. At no cost to me. And then I'd have nothing to explain for the rest of my life how I walked in his presence before him. Nothing. There'd be nothing. You know, nothing to come into. And I, I so look forward to hearing that voice of welcome. Welcome you good and faithful servant. Come into enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I look forward to. I don't want to go or appear before God and it says away from me you worker of iniquity or well you were saved but you were of no use to me after all you did nothing you walked your own way so you've gained nothing eternally you've got eternal life all right well I don't know what I will be doing with that eternal life then believe me because um, there are going to be rewards and I'd rather not be without it plus even forgetting about the rewards I would rather not walk in a way that is not pleasing to my God. I made the mistake. I was almost misled into thinking that I could do it. But I thank God that because of his love for me, he called me back. He called me back. And I thank God I'm so at peace now. Back with my Bible. Back doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Back proclaiming the word of God as I am doing. There's nothing more satisfying and nothing more fulfilling. And it doesn't matter whether I've got money in my wallet or not let alone my bank account it doesn't matter I don't care about those things I don't care about owning a house I don't care about uh, having a swimming pool I just don't care about those things anymore I didn't as soon as I met Christ and I you know almost derailed but I thank God I'm back in that place now where it does not matter God meets me at every point of need he provides my daily bread and that is enough for me the Bible teaches us that godliness with contentment is great gain Great is my peace and my joy. And money cannot buy those things. People who lost after those things of the world, they run up and down. They are, they, they are restless. They are unhappy. They feel unfulfilled. They are dissatisfied. And nothing they ever have will ever satisfy them. Do you know, um, Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. He said, he who loves money never has money enough. He who loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is a grievous evil. That's the thing, because the one who puts such lust in you is the devil. And there is no way he's ever going to give you a chance to satisfy that desire. No, because every time you think you've attained it, you know, every time you think you've attained it, he'll dangle something bigger and better in front of you. So you are going to be in that continuous vicious circle. You will never ever have everything you desire. Because it's not possible. Because the world is Satan's territory. And his purpose is to continue to separate people from God. To lead people away from God. And he will always, always dangle better and bigger things before you. You're never going to have everything everybody has. Nobody under the sun is going to have everything. You can have a lot of wealth. But that's not everything. There will always be somebody wealthier than you. You can have many houses. There will always be somebody with more. You can have many cars. There will always be somebody with more. So at what point do you get to that place where you are content? I um, was listening to um, the late A.W. Tozer recently. And he said something that I found absolutely beautiful. The way he put it. It's something that every true Christian knows. But the way he put it was so great, so beautiful. He said, I never wish for anything. I never wish for anything because if it's something I'm supposed to have, God will give it to me. And if I don't have it, it's because it's not the will of God for me. So I don't wish for anything. That is just so beautiful, so profound. So profound. And God's own children, true believers, are content with whatever they have. They don't look at what the neighbors got and think, oh, I think I deserve that. I'm a child of God. Now, this is the way false teachers teach people. They tell you to look out at your neighbor and look at the unbelievers. You're a child of the kingdom. You should have kingdom wealth. What nonsense. 
Why must the unbelievers have all the wealth that you deserve? You're a child of God and God is your father and God is wealthy and God you know, owns everything. You should have living kingdom prosperity. They insult the kingdom of God by bringing on it, tagging onto it all sorts of empty and foolish notions. You should believe in the kingdom life. Yeah? Well, I don't know what kingdom. Kingdoms of this world, that must be. Because the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us, is about holiness, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is indeed what true believers have. So you see, we don't have true believers laying down just worrying all the time about how can I get more money? Why is my neighbor driving a Mercedes and I haven't got one? Why has somebody at work got this promotion and I haven't got it? Why does this person earn more than me? And why does this person live in a bigger house than me? Am I not a Christian, the child of the living God? Am I not living the Christian, the kingdom life? No way. True Christians, faithful Christians don't think like that. They don't. Their only desire is to please God. Their only desire is to serve God. Their only desire is to obey God. To bring glory to God. That is the chief purpose of man. To bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. So we look at what Paul says here in Galatians. Because the Galatians, they were wrapped up. Not in the silly prosperity preaching, but in other things that were being tied to their salvation you know by the Judaizers they were confusing them and in a certain because what we're talking about is the only gospel and it applies to every area of any area at all of teaching we hear that is not about Jesus Christ his crucifixion and his resurrection that brings us eternal life and reconciliation with God the Father now in verse uh, 6 I think I'll read from verse 6 to 9 of Uh, Galatians chapter 1 Paul writes to the church I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So you see, there's eternal condemnation for every false teacher. But then unfortunately it doesn't end with them for every false believer too. Anyone who prefers the teachings of men, false teachings, teachings that encourage lustfulness and greed and worldliness, apart from the gospel of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that encourages godliness. If you are being taught to embrace worldliness, go for gold, go for the best, breakthrough, miracles and all that, that do nothing but tend to your personal sense of greed and lustfulness, then you will be as condemned, you will stand as condemned as those who are teaching it to you. Because you have rejected the word of God. God did not send his only begotten son to the world so that you and I can be rich and wealthy and healthy. There is a place where we will have perpetually good, perfect health. But that's not in this present world that we are in. Jesus Christ did not heal every disease when he was in the world. He was only amongst the Palestine people. And there he healed the people because it was God amongst us. There was a difference. The things he did amongst us. He provided food for the multitude out of very little. He did amazing things. Performed all sorts of amazing miracles of nature. Because he was God amongst us. God with us. He, he needed for people to see that salvation had come he did not want to be seen and known as a great miracle worker and that's why in a lot of cases when he healed people will say see you tell nobody about it jesus did not want to be seen of course i mean he was followed by very many fair weather friends there are many who pursued him because of the miracles many who chased him about because of the free food and remember what he said to them when he said to them oh you you're looking for me not because 
of the miracles necessarily that you've been saying. I mean, there were some who went after him for the miracles. They got their healing and walked off. And that was that. <laughs> we, we had those, he had those ones, those sort of followers. And then he had those who pursued their own greed. You know, it's told them in, in John chapter 6, from verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So when you are running after Jesus Christ and they're telling you, name it and claim it, you're a child of the kingdom, you know you've got salvation now, so you want everything else added onto it. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you the preaching of the prosperity teachers the false teachers call themselves prophets bishops apostles whatever titles they give themselves reverend doctor whatever it is they call themselves however they choose to address themselves you can even see from the titles they are called themselves a lot of them are so carnal they love to have a lot of letters after their names and then they precede their names with very many titles. Oh, see, I read one yesterday. It was so annoying. Uh, what was it? He was Reverend. He was Reverend Doctor High Apostle something or the other. I mean, for goodness' sake, what, 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 where's all that madness from? Now their teaching is opposite to what the Lord commanded. They say their teaching is seek you first. All other things, financial breakthrough, miracle, you know, uh, prosperity and all those things. And the kingdom of God shall be added unto you. Who, on whose side are you? Who is on the Lord's side? You want to believe them? Because you prefer their teachings, because you love what they're saying. It attends to your, to your carnal needs. Fine, but there will be consequences. Or would you rather believe the Lord of life himself? On whom God has put his seal of approval. Jesus alone. He alone gave us exposition into the kingdom of heaven. And what obtains there. And what will happen to those who go there. Well, we're all going to appear there. <laughs> either to be rewarded or to be judged. Everyone's going to live forever. Either in paradise or in hell. There is a choice. There is a consequence for every decision we make. If you say you're a Christian, you have no business listening to false teachers, listening to teachings that, that promote carnality. That is the life you once lived. That is the life, the life you once lived. We were all there before. We, the teachings of, of Christ, bring us out of that life, not take us back in there. It does not. It encourages us to come out of it. That's how we were. We should no longer live like that. That's what the Bible teaches. All the epistles were written to the Christians, to the believers. Well, I say believers, but sometimes you have to wonder what some people have believed. But put it that way. All the epistles really were, were written to the church. They're not for the people of the world. No, no, they were never written for the people of the world. They were written to the churches, to the believers in those days. You know, the truly believing and the lying ones. Everybody had them to go by. And we're told, this is the life you once lived. We were all like that before. We shouldn't be like that anymore. We all pursued those things, the things of the world before. We're different now. We're very different. You know, let's look very quickly. Let me close with uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I read from verse 1. Paul writing, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of, this th of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and fill the language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see? We used to live like that. It should be in your past. You're lost for money and for big things and for things of the world, for worldly achievement. Your heart should be set on things above. You should accumulate your wealth above in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Don't live. Don't work for food that perishes. But work for food that lasts all eternity. Things that can be put to your account. One day when you have to see God face to face. There is only one gospel. And it is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thank you Father for the word we've been able to share today. Thank you for all you have taught us. And all you've revealed to us. We praise you Lord our God for your word which is truth. We praise you that you've delivered this word to us. We pray O Lord that you give us the obedience, the spirit of obedience to obey you, to to love your word, to honor your word, that our lives may be to the glory of your praise and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.